No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. heard about the Women of Ontario Say No campaign on Instagram. One of the campaign's posts was shared by a number of female municipal council members that I follow. It's a growing grassroots advocacy effort to address the gap in a provincial accountability structure for municipally elected officials. Multiple Ontario municipalities have learned the hard way about the lack of tools in the Municipal Act for holding councillors accountable for workplace harassment. Currently, the most severe penalty that can be imposed on a municipal councillor is suspension of pay for 90 days, even in the most egregious cases. There is no process for removing councillors from office and they can even seek re-election. Some of them have. Bill 5 addresses this by amending the Municipal Act and City of Toronto Act. The legislation would ensure elected officials are held to their municipalities, violence and harassment in the workplace policies, permit the Integrity Commissioner to apply to the court to vacate the councillor's seat for failing to comply with the municipality's workplace violence or harassment policies and restrict subsequent re-election. Emily McIntosh is at the head of this campaign. Born and raised in Simcoe County, Emily has a long-standing interest in politics, human rights, and immigration and refugee policy. With international development experience in East Africa and Central Asia, 
Emily knows firsthand that the rights of women in Canada are never something to be taken for granted. Emily spearheaded this advocacy when her own hometown, Barrie, Ontario, was directly affected. A municipal councillor ran for mayor in the most recent election while in civil litigation for sexual harassment of a city employee. Emily is passionate about advocating, protecting, and strengthening the rights of all people, but particularly women, recognizing that the barriers to dismantling the long-standing patriarchal foundations of our current political environment make it challenging to speak out. That's why she is using her voice and privilege to bring this bill to the Ontario legislature. So let's get right to it. What is at the root of Women of Ontario Say No and Bill 5? A lot of people are unaware and they actually think it's some kind of joke, actually, when we're, we're talking about this, especially with members of the public. But as it stands today, there is no appropriate accountability structure for municipally elected officials who have been found guilty of egregious acts of harassment. And when I say egregious, we are talking about the worst cases of harassment. As it stands today, the maximum penalty that can be enforced is 90 days without pay. And that is not an acceptable reality for women today, for the public today, for any person in Ontario today. And so Bill 5 is about addressing that gap through a piece of legislation. It's a private member's bill that's on the table, and it has three primary components. One is it would ensure that municipally elected officials are held accountable to violence and harassment in the workplace policies of their respective municipality. So they would be held to the same standard as their clerks, as their CAOs. So there's consistency there. Secondly, it would provide a removal process. So in the most egregious of circumstances, integrity commissioners could go to council and council could Uh, direct that integrity commissioner to apply to the courts for removal. And this actually is a process that already exists for conflict of interest. So it's a huge um, juxtaposition to see that there's a removal process for conflict of interest, but not for how we treat one another. Uh, And then thirdly, it would uh, prevent that person from running in a subsequent election. So if you are in a a municipality and You know, the people that run the day to day, like your garbage pickup and your building permits and all of those things, they are employees of the municipality and they are under a certain, you know, integrity policy, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, for the municipality itself, whatever that policy is. It's a human resource policy, I would imagine. And so all of those people are held accountable for their actions as employees of a municipality. However, elected officials are not held to that same accountability. And what your uh, campaign addresses in particular is harassment. Is that correct? It even goes beyond codes of conduct. So a lot of municipalities have codes of conduct. But when it comes to, you know, human resources, a few years ago, um, under the previous government, there was a law that was passed that required employers to have specifically violence and harassment in the workplace policies. And it's named that way because it's it needs to be that specific. And so, yes, what this would do is ensure that our elected representatives, you know, on council are held to those same standards as all of the municipal staff. 
And what are some of those occasions? Can you give me some examples of what mm-hmm. kind of prompted you to start mm-hmm. this campaign? Like, what were some of the things that happened? And we're talking Ontario, right? And, and we'll talk a little bit yeah. later about whether other provinces have approached you. But this is happening in Ontario, correct? It's personal in that I'm a woman and there was something playing out in my community of Barrie, Ontario, which was where I was residing at the time, born and raised. And I came back from summer vacation and I knew that there was a counselor going through civil litigation for sexual harassment, very well publicized in uh, local news. And I came back from vacation and that counselor was running for mayor. And I was so deeply disturbed. And I guess within that year, also, the city of Barrie had settled privately on behalf of an unnamed counselor with a union employee. I was deeply disturbed, so much so that I was losing sleep over it. After we've had Trump, you can't take anything for granted. And I was thinking, okay, we'll write a letter to the paper, you know, we'll get a lot of organizations to sign it. And then I thought, no, you know what, we need to engage our councils because it's their workplace. And they should have a say in their own workplace safety. And Bill 5 will not only address, you know, counselors' behavior in the workplace, but also counselor to counselor collegial relations. And so this is playing out in Barrie, and that's where it started for myself. And I basically decided, no, I do not want to live like this. Women do not need to live like this. And when I was researching the bill, the origin of the bill is actually from Ottawa with Councillor Rick Shirelli, whose pay was suspended accumulation of um, four times. So 90 days without pay, but four separate times and multiple women, I think over 20 had come forward either to the media anonymously or to the integrity commissioners. And interestingly, so when this started, I, I, you know, I was just unhappy with what happened in Barrie and not, I mean, I'm not unhappy. I was deeply disturbed and wanting to make a change. And then it was through the research of the bill that I realized the origins of the bill, which were from Ottawa. And then since this advocacy has rolled out provincially, I think we've got 14 examples and that's just what's public. That's just what has been reported. This kind of abuse and harassment is actually quite insidious. And whenever we have delivered deputations, I can share with you, it has been very emotional from counselors, particularly females, as well as municipal staff in the room, because it is striking a chord. So yeah, I think we've got about 14 examples. There's a case of Mississauga where a male counselor keyed um, another female counselor's car. We've got a situation in Brampton where egregious forms of harassment occurred, although it was overseas, where apparently, you know, this woman said no multiple times. This needs to be addressed. This is wrong and it needs to change and it doesn't need to change. It, It can't be four years from now. It can't be two years from now. It needs to change now. The few examples that you utilized were larger cities. Mm. And we know that in smaller rural communities, it's not even safe to report often Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you live and work and your children Mm -hmm. go to school perhaps with these folks. And Mm -hmm. there can be physical intimidation. There can be mm-hmm. lots of reasons why women don't report. And, you know, that's well documented when it comes to sexual abuse or intimate partner abuse. But mm-hmm. when you are a representative of the actual municipality and you're worried about your own safety, mm-hmm. and that can be online or in person, this is groundbreaking. And tell me about the support that you've received so far. 
Yeah. And just to go back before I go to the support, I did want to say that is something that we recognize when you work for a municipality. These are some of the most coveted positions and well-paid positions in smaller communities. Um, And then to your point, elected officials, they already receive deference. They are making decisions that are linked to resources where you live. And frankly, why would anyone come forward? If you know that even in the worst case scenarios, there is no process for that person to be removed, i.e. they can do whatever they want and keep their job and seek re-election, why would you come forward? It's actually a deterrent. So I just wanted to, to uh, support that point. As far as the support, it's been a journey. It's been incredible. I would say Certainly, this is very much resonating with women in particular, and we know that it's not just about women. This legislation will apply equally to all persons. It is about ensuring that the human rights of all people is protected. It's about a consistent standard of how we treat each other as people, irrespective of our our place in life or our position of power. But that said, a lot of support uh, from female counselors in particular bringing it forward and a lot of pushback in in other regards. So, for example, we're rolling out deputations across the province and we have had a lot of pushback uh, on getting it on the docket. And I can speak to that certainly in the county of Simcoe. So we had approached them prior to the election. So I knew that the agenda would be very light and we had put in, you know, the deputation request and it's, it's four slides. Very, very simple. It's a very simple piece of legislation with no budget attached. So, you know, you would think it would be a no brainer to endorse it. And we actually were denied the opportunity. And that was deeply concerning because I thought, okay, not only can not only do we have this gap, okay, where women's rights are, you know, actively being abused and and everyone's just, you know, watching that happen. But secondly, now you're saying we can't even talk about it. We can't even talk about this issue. That's wrong. And that's an affront to the democratic process. We tried to back channel that to get on the docket at the County of Simcoe. Uh, We were unsuccessful. And so then we involved the media. So it's been very hit or miss. But I would say as much as we've been making gains, we have had some incredible pushback and probably not a huge surprise to know that majority of that pushback is from men. I don't know this for a fact, but I can see how people would say, you're removing my right to speak up Mm -hmm. about something I don't like. You're muzzling me uh, to be able to speak freely, say, on social media, or maybe the women are just easily offended. Is that some of the, the rhetoric that you're getting? And then what is your response to that? So I would say that actually hasn't been the primary focus. And I think the reason being this advocacy, when this first started, I actually thought this would be the most innocuous advocacy effort ever. I mean, to my naivete, clearly, because I thought, oh, my gosh, it's not controversial. And this bill has due process built in. And I think that that is really paramount. So this is not about sensationalizing somebody saying something. You know, municipalities can deal with with harassment and they do. This is just about in the most egregious of circumstances and making sure that people know that there's a standard of treatment of people. And if you violate that so egregiously, you, you no longer can have your position. I think really making sure that 
people are not spooked by the legislation. All of the claims have to be substantiated. So that's the other thing. This is not just somebody saying this happened to me. It has to be investigated. It has to be substantiated. One of the things we've heard is, well, you know, why not just go to the the police? But we know that in fact, the burden of proof is different. So when you go to the police, the burden of proof is beyond a reasonable doubt. When you go to the integrity commissioner, it's much like any other HR department. It's a balance of probabilities. Is it probable that this occurred? If the answer is yes, then they can they can move on some action. And I think people are getting spooked a little bit around this removal process. But again, this would only happen in a handful of cases. And ideally, the whole movement is saying, if if this legislation gets passed, we're hoping we don't have to deal with egregious cases of harassment because people will think twice. I know that in in life, when you know that there's a, a consequence, you think twice before you go and do whatever it is you're going to do. So I think having that as a message is equally as important to the pragmatism of the bill itself. The last thing I think that people have said is, you know, we can't, we cannot mess with the democratic process. I mean, that's the people and they're speaking and they're saying who they want. And the response to that is, we need a paradigm shift. If you egregiously harass somebody and that is substantiated, you should lose the privilege to represent the people. And I think that that is a very important message. Representing public interest is a privilege. It is not a right. And at the end of the day, you should be held to the same standard of treatment of others as every other employee in this province. Have you had interest from other provinces? And to me, when we think about question period, you always get the, you know, how can people talk to each other like that? And then the the, the, the following sentence is, well, they've always done it that way. It, that's mm-hmm. not anything new. So I'm curious to hear if you've had interest from other provinces and also on the federal level, I mean, is this something that could be implemented farther up? I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves insofar as we are getting some serious pushback here in Ontario as far as even getting in front of councils, okay, to, to speak to this issue publicly. With that context, I can share that I've, you know, certainly met with elector uh, nationally, and I know that they are looking at accountability structures for MPPs. uh, And I think they were focused on two provinces, Ontario, and I don't want to misspeak, one of the uh, East Coast provinces uh, that does have a structure in place. So what would I say, I think that there's 100% an appetite here. And from my perspective, this advocacy has a trajectory. We know what that trajectory is. We need to make it for our municipal councils because they are different. They're not linked to a party where a party leader can just, you know, remove somebody from the party, for example. There's a trajectory here, but we are really focused on addressing what's happening at the municipal level. And then we will see where that goes. Just because things have always been done a certain way. I mean, what a poor excuse. We cannot live like that. Someone was like, you know, this is never going to happen, Emily. Like a private member's bill is like a Hail Mary. I said, you know what? Who cares? I'm not going to not do the right thing. I'm not going to not advocate for the type of communities that we want when we know that this is at the heart of the health of communities. And it's so much bigger than just violence and harassment and removal process. This is about how do you attract diversity of voice to the decision-making tables? And at a foundational level, if it is not safe, we are not going to get the right people or the right people in the 
you know, the right numbers to be at those tables. We are facing so many complex social issues. We need to have our best people, right? Which is our most diverse representation and true representation. And so this is this is what this advocacy is really about. And this is what we're trying to push forward. So you told the story about how in your own community, this bothered you so much, you needed to do something. So why have you continued to carry this torch and, you know, taken this own, on as your own kind of personal campaign and, and pushed so hard and involve so many people and you are tireless. Tell me about that. Tell me about why you're so passionate about it and how much of your time you're dedicating to this. Well, every time I think I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. And then I start talking about it and I get so the injustice of it bothers it. it, Like it's just at the core of, and it's at the core of what is wrong and it can be so easily addressed. And I think that that has what's fueled this. And it was interesting because my partner, you know, the, the municipal election came and went and the focus was really in about a month before the municipal election to bring this to light in Simcoe County. And my partner said, well, like, you know, what are you going to do now? I said, yeah, I, I don't know. He goes, well, you can't stop. I'm like, of course, of course it's not addressed. The whole reason that we were focused on this is still a problem today. The liability is live today. We have newly elected councils across this great province of ours with no accountability structure in place. I think, too, it's very strategic. We know governments often just run things out. They expect people to lose stamina. And instead of losing stamina, this is gaining momentum. And I think this speaks to the heart of the issue where women are coming to the table and saying, no, this is not good enough. It's not good enough for me. And it's not good enough for my community. And it's not good enough for my colleagues. And we tend to focus or often we focus as a society on, you know, our children. We need to change this for the future. We need to be better for future generations. And I'll be honest, I was thinking about that. I have two children and that. That Yeah, of course, I don't want this for my children. But I think if it's not good enough for my children in 20 years, it's not good enough for me today. It's not good enough for women today. And it doesn't have to be like this. And I think the more we recognize it doesn't have to be like this, the more empowered we we are as individuals to say, I'm going to speak to this. I'm going to put my name to this. I'm going to own you can feel very exposed when you do that. And so that is an issue I'll highlight is there's, you know, been a lot of conversation about counselors that want to bring it forward, but they don't feel supported. They have the motion, but they don't have any backing or they have a clerk that's saying, Oh no, we need to focus on budget right now. And so it's really around changing the, the orientation to say, you've been elected to represent public interest and we want you to feel empowered and supported because we recognize how exposed, I I mean, I'm speaking from experience. I've done a couple of deputations and I do a lot of public speaking in my job. I've never been more nervous. And you also don't know people's stories, either how they may have been affected, you know, in the receiving end as as a victim or how they maybe have been a perpetrator. It's a very hot button and emotional topic, but I keep saying if we don't name it, we can't change it. So let's have the hard conversations and we can't look away anymore. I, I couldn't. And then, I mean, as far as time, 
it goes, you know, sometimes on a Saturday night, my husband's like, I thought we were having a date night. I'm like, oh, just let me send off like five more emails. So that tends to be (laughs) what's happening. But uh, thankfully, because it's picking up momentum and more and more people are getting involved, it's, it's stratifying things a little bit, which is fantastic. But it's also been very rewarding to do something just because you feel it's the right thing to do and very empowering to say, I'm going to stand up publicly. And, you know, we did a demonstration in Barrie uh, and when, when this motion was on the table at Barrie council, and I didn't know if anybody was going to show. And I just thought, you know what? It doesn't even matter. Even if it's just me, I have, you have to be proud when you do something for the right reasons And it's about making positive change. And I think if we took the pressure off of ourselves of trying to have like droves of people or incredible success, no, if we, if we use doing the right thing as our guide, it's, it's incredible. And we should be very proud of that. And that's, that's just equally as important as any success that you're going to get thereafter. It's very inspiring. And uh, I think (laughs) we're in a time where it is not a choice to not speak up when you have privilege because women are just the first tier of, of the intersectionality of all of the systemic problems that we have. So white yeah. women, it's our time to speak up so that then we can lay the groundwork so other people can actually mm-hmm. come in and and be represented. If we set the standard of treatment and then we get in and then we make it better for other people than other equity deserving folks can actually have a seat at the table. So you are starting shipping away at the systemic issues, including capitalism, including colonialism, and I'm going to say white supremacy that we have in our municipalities and in our businesses across not just Ontario, but the country. So you are chipping away at that with this. So how can people help you? What is what is it that people can do? There's so many ways to help. And then I want to come back to your point, because I, there's something that I want to say to that. So First, visit our website, thewomenofontariosayno.com. You can connect uh, with us through there. We need letters to MPPs. We need residents who are willing to meet with their MPPs, and they don't need to do that on their own. If they connect with us via the website, we have a, a professional advocate involved because we want a full court press on this issue. We know that in order to get this change, we need conservative champions. If you know somebody, we we know we've got the other party's support, which is incredible, uh, but we need those conservative champions. So um, if you are willing to simply attend an MPP meeting and say that you agree and you want this change and you want to see this happen, please do connect with us because we'll be attending those meetings as well. In addition, we've got emails out that are being sent out to primarily um, female counselors on councils to bring this motion forward. We have opportunities for deputations. I would encourage people to write an op-ed in your local paper and really having the conversation, whether that's with your neighbor, whether that's with your 
student's teacher. There's a million ways to get involved, but please do connect with us. Um, and also please follow us on our Instagram, Women of Ontario Say No. You'll see a lot of great content. I will flag for everyone. The bill's second reading right now is slated for May 31st. That will likely be subject to change, but we are hoping for carpools of women and people across this province of ours to show up at Queen's Park. We want to pack the legislature. We want to give the government the mandate to ensure that this change happens. And then we're going to go to a queer bar and have some drinks, and then we're going to use it as a fundraiser for some BIPOC organizations because we're, we want to have a rights supporting rights initiative. So join us. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention just around privilege, certainly I actually have felt incredible privilege going through this process. And I want to do a shout out to some people that have been really instrumental Um I can think of one person in particular, Shelly Skinner. Uh, she is the president of Uplift Black in, in Barrie. And it's really incredible to see the type of advocacy and the level of commitment from so many other groups. And as you said, so, you know, so many groups that have experienced so much systemic discrimination. And it felt like a privilege for me to sort of this I felt like I was deciding to take something on. And I think that that's, you know, a very different, potentially a very different experience from other people and their lived experience day to day. So I just want to give a shout out to um, all of the, the colleagues that are doing just such incredible, important work. And I have just the deepest respect and, um, and I guess a whole new appreciation for that experience. So when will it be enough? What are the small victories that you are looking to claim? I mean, it just has to change. I can't even, honestly, I don't even want to go to a place where the bill doesn't get passed or we don't have an accountability structure. So I guess mentally, I'm not even going to that spot. But some huge achievements along the way. Um, we were connected with the former premier and she's involved and she's doing deputations. That, I have so much respect for that. This is not glamorous work. This is really challenging and you're putting your name to something, you're making time in your schedule to do it. So certainly having a uh, former Premier Wynne involved has been fantastic. Um, I think to see the diversity of voices involved, especially at those initial stages, I cannot express how important it has been to have those initial champions and people to say, you're not alone. Like, oh, you were losing sleep. I was losing sleep over it too. I feel sick about this. That was really helpful. And then as far as, you know, other wins, we were able to secure the funding to really broaden the efforts. And, you know, we have a professional advocate involved right now, and he just brings such incredible experience to the table. And when I, I was having a conversation with uh, someone who's pretty heavily involved in politics, they said, oh, you, you have, you know, Harvey Cooper. Wow. I'm, I'm surprised. Like it's, you know, he doesn't really, I'm surprised he's getting involved in something that's so controversial. And I think it speaks to obviously his character and he's completely nonpartisan because this is a nonpartisan issue. You know what? The bright light has just been connecting with like-minded individuals. I honestly, it's, it's meeting like the best people in the province is what it feels like. And to see people step up and say, you know what, I'm going to put my name to this. I'm, I'm not going to be afraid. And, and the empowerment piece of, um, you know, I have someone who's very involved behind the scenes and she's been asked to do a deputation and she was so nervous and, you know, I, I'm not going to, I don't know if I can do it as well. And I think the big piece when it comes to advocating for legislation is what we keep telling people is you do not have to be an expert in legislation to know how you want to be treated. 
you do not have to know the ins and outs of Bill 5. What you need to know is that right now, municipally elected representatives can get away with the worst behavior imaginable and keep their job and that that needs to change. And that's what you need to know. I think that's a great place to end. Emily, uh, thank you so much for what you're doing and for your time today. And I look forward to another interview hearing about the advancements of this bill. So thank you. Thank you, Shauna, for all your work. Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Munsee Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 